uh, on October 25th, December 25th, 1951, Johann Gottfried Bischoff stated that the second coming would occur before he died. Oh. He died July 6, 1960. <laughs> well, shit. Yep. My favorite rapture writers, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. They stated that the Y2K bug would trigger global economic chaos, which the Antichrist would use to rise to power. As the date approached, however, they changed their minds. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Psychosocial Distancing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Chadbourne, and with me, as always, is Thomas Brooks. Hello. And um, it's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> um, is it now? And I feel fine. I I also feel, I'm a little hungover. Ah, I'm celebrating the end of the world last night, but other than that, I feel fine. Well, it's just another rotation around the sun of your significant other. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. Though it might feel like it if you wake up with a hangover. It definitely did feel like that this morning. So we are going to talk about apocalypses, predictions, raptures, and all of that good stuff. Um, ooh. My, my mouse is being weird. It's the end of you my computer. Get it in order. Yep. Get it into shape. So... Um, I, I don't know where to really start with this. We we have like um, a long history mm-hmm. of predicted events. And if we go back um, further than that, we, we go back before the common era, before the AD times, mm-hmm. depending on how you want to say it. We go back to our BC or before common era. Um probably one of the most famous rapture predictions but this this actually came after you know once once we move into to ce or ad was um john in the bible right it was john mm-hmm. yes yeah with the um, undisclosed john yeah one of the johns a john a john somewhere um predicted kind of the end of the world or the end times the the tribulation the rapture the um uh, the book of revelations you know, that, that that were revealed to him uh regarding this and that's kind of become a common theme and i, I think if we you look through predictions of these events biblical predictions or, or predictions tied to specific religious events are probably the most common mm-hmm. uh, and most popularized today i think if someone's going to predict the end of the world today it's probably going to have to do with some form of rapture an antichrist um into the world cats and dogs living together mass hysteria um into the world but it's not necessarily new um Mm -hmm. we've had popes various individuals um, monks, historians, uh, other religious leaders have been kind of predicting the end of the world for thousands of years. 
yes no it's been at least in the uh adce era we if you just take a brief look throughout the interwebs you'll find plenty of people who have been predicting the end of the world it's not even necessarily a uh like 20th century dominant phenomenon like right people in the 17th and 18th century were just as worried about the end of the world as people are today um i think that's one of the things i want to unpack tonight is like why this fascination with the end of the world what is kind of what is a rapture or an apocalypse psychologically serve for people that, that this is such a prevalent and ongoing phenomenon within religious circles as well as other cultural circles that this theme seems to pop up again and again it's a good question because i don't think like especially if we look at like some of the people so you you pull up a list of apocalyptic predictions and you look at the people who have made these historical predictions so we take someone like um christopher columbus Mm. who uh, wrote a book of prophecies in um 1501 he predicted the world would end in 1656 uh also did doing some math predicted the world would end in 1658 um the question would be like well why it was this just sort of capitalizing on like hey you know nostradamus is out there all these other people are writing books on prophecies i'm gonna make some prophecies too mm-hmm. um you know, I, I got some fame. I, I went and discovered some islands that I thought was India. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but there have been a number of, of you know, uh, predictions and, and individuals, um, some notable, some not. But that's the big question. Why? What purpose does something like predicting the rapture serve? And maybe not even just for the person, because maybe for the person, it could be notoriety. It could be um, true faith in that, like, hey, I've kind of uncovered the information. Like for for Columbus, he claimed that the world was created in 5,343 BCE. So he was a, a young earth creationist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said it would only last 7,000 years. And so by that math, 1658 would have been the date. Um, but why, like why, you know, in his case, he's, he's creating these prophecies. And then I think that's, that's part of the question or part of what to unpack and try to understand. The other part is sort of why do people, uh, follow these prophecies? So you're not making the prophecy someone else is. Why do people kind of jump on that prophecy bandwagon? Because Mm -hmm. I, I would argue it probably serves a very different purpose um, when you compare the person who makes the prophecy versus the person who believes, and there could be overlap. Mm-hmm. But. Right. No, because I'm thinking like Christopher Columbus, or uh, I even saw Martin Luther on the list had an end of the world prophecy. Right. And I wonder if there is like the drive to create these is to, uh, for like public manipulation. So if you look at like our last episode when we talked about cults and like how these cultures organize around leaders, like an end of the world prophecy is pretty sweet because you can induce like fear or yep. uh, induce terror management 
into people's psychology as a group with an end of the world prophecy um, and manipulate whether or not they're going to be saved or not. So if we look at a situation like Heaven's Gate, like the aliens were coming to like save them, for example. And so you get to like keep your followers like on edge with an end of the world prophecy and like make the group stronger because like if the rest of the world's going to shit, like you need to build a count on your group. Um, I also wonder if an end of the world prophecy for maybe the individual who is invested and believes in it is either A, possibly psychologically captured, or B, there's some sort of like, I don't know, need for cognition going on there. So like this idea that there has to be something else coming there, like there is this end state that I'm working towards. And so whether you're like an evangelical who's like donating to suburbanize the West Bank, for example, to like spur on the end times, or if you are say, I don't know, a doomsday prepper, for example, like having that end of the world scenario, like the zombie apocalypse coming gives you something to do in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of adds to that sense of purpose or meaning or, um, you know, at least it's like the, the quest fulfillment. I don't know. Qu- quest motivation is a little different. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We, we've talked about it. This would be perfect to talk about in a religious episode. Um, but we kind of have two core motivations, intrinsic, extrinsic motivation. And I, you know, we can maybe argue for people wanting to control the group. There's very extrinsic reasons to say world's going to end because it, it offers them more control. Um, it keeps, it binds the group together. It's not really about like outside of my, um, uh, it's not really like personal meaning. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's serving some other function. Um, but yeah, if we look at like the work of like, like, is it Batson who does, um, that's in quest motivation. I think so. Um, quest motivation is you are motivated by the journey. And so someone who is really high in quest uh, from a religious standpoint might be really interested in reading the book of revelations and reading the Bible. And you can maybe make an argument that they're interested in like better understanding what might happen, but there's not really like um necessarily a want for it to happen it's about the journey and thinking about one's beliefs and um it's far more common when we look at like eastern religious traditions the journey uh the Mm. spiritual journey from point a to point b becoming a better person understanding oneself etc etc is the motivating factor to be a part of your religious group and Mm. we ultimately find that they're really rare in western religions uh, people who are high, high in quest, and they don't necessarily fit in with their religious structures. They tend to be less prejudiced of other religious groups. They tend to be a little less connected to their religious group um, because it's about that journey. They're not in it for the afterlife. They're in it to better understand like creation or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe not, but yeah. also that makes me think that like if maybe the quest isn't religion but it's 
the apocalypse as a process of preparation and skill development and well it gives you a uh it gives you a goal it gives uh-huh. you a, a timeline because if you're a doomsday prepper and there is no doomsday on the horizon why are you prepping mm-hmm. just in case um in the same way that like having a date and this was this was an argument made i i i do like this guy's conclusion um but he, he talks about how like for those who accept it who accept a rapture or accept an in times prediction it turns faith into sight if the rapture is going to be october 4th 2005 there is little incentive for believers to get right with the Lord until October 3rd, 2005. <laughs> um, on October 5th, what had been to them a blessed hope becomes a bitter disappoint- disappointment. Mm-hmm. And so, but there might be something there, like like for that person like who has a goal, like, hey, I need to get my life in order by X time. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, I at least have this sort of mark on the horizon that I need to work towards or that I could look forward to if I feel that I have my life in order, like for the people donating to West Bank um, housing and stuff like that. They're like, no, 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 this is an investment. Like we want right. the world, we want the world to end so we can go to heaven. Uh, we don't want to wait. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it becomes this sort of idea, like we don't really have a date, but if we spurn all the, all the points in, um, in the book of revelation, then we're in, we're in a good spot. Right. That's, uh, almost makes the apocalyptic apocalypse, not something that's in the future, but something that people live every day. Right. So it's not a future event. It almost doesn't even Mm -hmm. matter what the year is. But as long as it stays salient in the present, then that spurs and motivates action and decisions yeah. and stuff like that. Or lack of you decisions. Know? Or lack of decisions, because it may, you could go full nihilist on it and just right. be like, well, you know, like mm-hmm. if the world's going to end, what do I have to worry about? Right. Why, sh- why should we help fight climate change? The world's going to end and we're going to heaven. Mm-hmm. We don't care. We're just going to enjoy it while, we, while it lasts. But it also works in the opposite direction, right? So like I was in a very evangelical church and so the youth pastor spent a lot of time scaring us about the end of the world and how it was our responsibility to like get everybody we know saved. Oh yeah. And so that spurred a lot of action because if you have a ticking clock, then all of a sudden like things like evangelizing becomes super important, which then builds the group. Yeah. and gives the leaders more power and esteem yeah and you're going to be very concerned about those people in your life who aren't saved mm-hmm. because again there is a timeline there is a ticking clock um i i almost wonder with some of these though if it isn't just sort of like a priming effect mm-hmm. that the idea of an apocalypse is it's in the bible it's it's salient amongst most christians Um, there's an apocalypse story everyone's probably familiar with to some degree um and then something happens and your thought is well the world's ending Mm -hmm. um and so any sort of like upheaval or recession or anything like that becomes a sign um and, and a good example of this which made me think of our recent uh, dealing with fire and everything. Mm-hmm. On May 19th, 1780, 
the Connecticut General Assembly, like the actual Connecticut Congress, um, their members and a number of people in New England predicted the end of the world had begun. Mm. And it's because on that day, the sky turned dark during the day and it was interpreted as a sign of the end times. Was it a uh, eclipse? No, the primary cause of the event is believed to have been a combination of smoke from forest fires, a thick fog, and cloud cover. Oh. It just got really, really overcast during the day, plus forest fire. Mm-hmm. And they were like, it's really dark at noon. The world is ending. I'm sure it didn't smell good either. No. I'm so sure that was a part of it, like the, oh God. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing that I think with this, and and that's maybe kind of really interested in the idea that let's say you're going to have someone who wants to keep the group together and predict a rapture or an apocalypse, um, is that what we've known and what was finally kind of codified in in psych, um, not experimentation, but in psych study uh, in the 1950s was that it doesn't matter if you're wrong. Mm-hmm. that people will rationalize. You might lose some people, but people will rationalize and will accept corrections. Mm-hmm. So whether we're talking about uh, the Shakers who, who predicted the end of the world in 1792 and 1794 to uh, multiple predictions by the Jehovah's Witnesses to modern rapture predictions that just pop up every couple of years by the same people like, Oh, oh nope, I read it wrong. It's actually going to be six months from now. Um, we could go back to Leon Festinger and cognitive dissonance and understand the rationale or, or how people rationalize uh, these events not happening. Mm-hmm. That we'd rather maintain positive self-esteem than admit that we were wrong. So in that case, a doomsday prediction could work as a uh, high reward, low risk group salience move then. Because if you introduce the rapture to your group, you bring people together, they build community more strongly together because they think that they're going to be the last ones left. Mm -hmm. And then when it doesn't work out, you only lose people on the edge. Yeah, yeah, you're only going to lose the people who aren't highly identified with the community or haven't put in the investment. So that doomsday prepper who puts in all that time and energy and investment, if you then tell them like, hey, there's no doomsday coming, that's going to cause cognitive dissonance. That's going to cause that negative emotional state of like, wait a second, did I just waste all this money? Did I just waste all this time? And it's just easier for us to rationalize, no, Mm -hmm. I didn't waste all that time um, I'm going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. And, and so just like, and we talked about cults <laughs> recently. So the same thing with that, like the, the reason, like it was studied Festinger and we've talked about Festinger before, um, was studied in a cult. My, you know, my favorite psych history statement, Leon Festinger had his graduate students infiltrate a cult. And they waited for this end times prophecy to happen. And when it didn't happen, the world was still around. The leader of the cult was like, we've been spared for six months. <laughs> uh, 
And the vast majority of the people in the cult who had given money and time and effort and recruited people were like six months. And then six yeah. months happened and they were like, we were spared for another year. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. I will give it to the doomsday preppers though. It, they were the ones that were sitting pretty during the COVID lockdowns. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, from, from, I guess a, a rational standpoint, um, having canned food, having a, a safe place, um, hoarding I, like basic basic necessities. Yeah, right, like right. if I can't go to the store for the next six months, like, and I, I have six months of like stuff ready to go. Like, yeah, yeah. A guy, guy who's got a, got a, a small fortune in toilet paper is yeah. like, yeah, let them fight over it. Or like, I got a bunch of gas like stored. Oh, look, gas prices are through the roof. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about that. I bought that gas at like, I don't know, you know, a dollar, a dollar a gallon. Yeah, two fifty a gallon. Um, I'm, I'm in a good spot, and I mm-hmm. will survive, and I will make it through this better than everyone else will. And, mm-hmm. and like, and that's not necessarily like I wouldn't call that even like doomsday. That's just like prepping, right? Well, that's... I mean, we are in the doomsday right now, <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, but it's it's being, say, being prepared in that case, and whether they're doing it for a zombie apocalypse or for like, you know, post Cold War mentality still existing, right, or like the dissolution of the global economic order, like, right, they're probably doing all right. Yeah, I will say, pro tip: just get a bidet instead of hoarding toilet paper. You'll save space, and then you <laughs> won't have to buy toilet paper. <laughs> Yeah, we'll just have to make electric cars more um, accessible, and then I think we'll be we'll be good on those two fronts. Um, just go back to horses. Well, we could reject modernity, embrace tradition, <laughs> get to a horse. Yeah, and then spend all of your money on keeping that horse alive. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's um kind of interesting i mean so we, we we have this need to to band together into groups i mean the idea like our, our basic social psych argument we are a social species um and that has helped us to survive for a very long time mm-hmm. um and so we could maybe argue that naturally there's a lot of things will arise um or or serve some adaptive purpose like by making us maybe believe that the group is in danger i mean we could even go much more micro level and and talk about things like like group identity threat because the yeah. idea of a rapture um but i, I don't know the rapture is kind of an odd difference because and see that's what i was just thinking about I'm like it does the rapture rise to group identity threat like no but something like like maybe like like if we talk about like manson's helter skelter okay that would be an identity threat thing hey our group there's going to be this race war. Our mm-hmm. group is in trouble. This race war is going to call the, cause the end of the world. The, mm-hmm. dooms, the doomsday prepper, there's going to be like a, a nuclear apocalypse or there's going to be like a, a breakdown of society. That's identity threat for me and my close-knit group, my friends, my family, the other preppers in my neighborhood or in my, my circle or the connections that I've made across the United States. This is us. And we're going to have... the 
everyone's going to be threatened. And so we're going to band together mm-hmm. to save ourselves. Um, but yeah, when you get to something like the rapture, though, the rapture becomes kind of wholly unique because in that case, it's not really about like if we, we talk about that kind of traditional, I'll say like the, the left behind view of the rapture where just everyone disappears, all the true believers vanish overnight. Um, whether they leave their clothes behind, we don't know. Right. Are we going to find a bunch of shoes in the street um, or are they gone? Has everything gone? But the idea would be that a bunch of people leave, but those are the in group. Mm-hmm. And, but there may still be, because if you, you, you get into revelation, there's, there's still the idea that there will be some people left behind who are, or become true believers and they will be persecuted. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is to, there, there may be some identity threat because you don't want those people to be left behind. You want to save as many people as possible. Right. And it may like work in two different ways as well. Cause if, if we're using like, let's say the extinction of your group is the identity threat, but then terror management kicks in and you have your religion that says, actually y'all are going to survive and you're going to cheat death and live, you know, in your mansions in the sky forever. Then there's like this weird like back and forth of like, okay, my group is threatened, so we need to build community and protect ourselves. But also this threat gets neutralized by the promise of an afterlife. And so like, it's almost like a limbic state where you're like caught between group threat and uh, mortality salience. Yeah. Because you can't solve the rapture, right? Like it's out of your, like you have to acknowledge that it's out of your control. Yes. And, and that might give us some insight into why people predict them though. Because it is, it is out of our control. There, There is very specific, um, and I'm going to find the, uh, and I had the Bible verse. And then now I don't, here we go. Uh, oh, no, that's not the right Bible verse. Yeah, so Matthew 24, 36 but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only mm-hmm. from, from the mouth of Jesus. And so the Bible is very explicit in saying like, no, we can't know. We can't understand when it's going to happen. We can't really predict it. There might be some signs, but ultimately like they could be wrong. The only person who knows is God. Um, but because we know that plenty of people are like well we we can just kind of ignore that i'm not going to read matthew i'm gonna i'm gonna read mark and mark doesn't say that and or i'm gonna go read revelation revelation doesn't explicitly say that um or this other part doesn't explicitly say that and so it could help maybe reduce some of that terror by knowing Mm -hmm. and so we might have this like drive that if you're part of a, a, a religious group with an apocalypse story with a rapture um predicting it's a positive thing uh for members wanting to know could be really helpful because it can then control the uncontrollable reduces that uncertainty mm-hmm. so gonna get spicy yeah do these principles apply to non-religious doomsday predictions And I say that because I have one here that I found for 2026 
mm -hmm. uh, from who is it? Uh, so this doomsday prediction comes from uh, Heinz von Forrester, who in science uh, in 1960 said that he created a formula to predict any of the world via uh, overpopulation to be the 13th of November, 2026. And so I wonder if things like overpopulation or even maybe global warming to an extent um, also serve as maybe like not religious, like group identity threat slash terror management, bringing people together, but as maybe more of a secular political group that we use things like uh, global warming and overpopulation as a way to like bind people together in the same way that like preachers use tribulations too. I don't really think that's a spicy take because <laughs> I agree with it. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think that that makes sense that we maybe have... you're just as spicy as I am. That's possible. Uh, but I mean, we talk about like Y2K mm -hmm. Mayan calendar stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, these are not Christian. They, they, some were adopted like the Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins, said that y2k was going to be used by the antichrist to rise to power um mm. they they kind of went back on that though um right. as the date got closer but yeah like um it's been adopted by religious groups um but it's not it, that there are uh non-religious groups or that that have looked at like swings in economic upheaval and use that as sort of like a, a way to predict uh, economic or societal collapse and that that it would be like an apocalypse so if you're mm -hmm. a doomsday prepper that would be kind of a secular um, I don't know what the overlap between doomsday preppers and like hardcore rapture believing Christians are mm -hmm. um, yeah because that wouldn't logically make sense because you wouldn't be prepping for the rapture if you think you're going right right but also like Maybe you don't think about that because you've never read Revelations. Mm -hmm. You've heard people talk about the rapture because it's become kind of socially popularized. But also, like, what happens if there's economic collapse before the rapture? Right. So what you can you need to like, yeah. like write out, and it kind of depends if you're like which sect of Christianity you're into. Right. So, like, some of them think that, like, I think it's a uh, pre millennialism is yeah. uh you get raptured before the tribulations and then some christian sects are like post-millennialism where it's like you get raptured after the tribulations <laughs> so you have to actually live through it because the rapture is not like a guaranteed like it's going to save you through the end of the world right i i will also um make a quick correction uh it actually does say in revelation that that you don't know when it's going to happen it actually says it throughout the Bible. Um, my, some of my favorites are: uh, if you if you uh, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Mm. Um, yeah, that that there's stuff, there are signs, there are like markings, but um, it's just a lot of is like um, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You don't know when the second coming will happen. You don't know. 
um, uh, what that. And so maybe we, we see both kind of both hand, you know, both sides of that. So if you are a Christian and you're like, the rapture is going to happen, the end of the world is going to happen at some point, I can't predict it, but I can predict Y2K. Right. Um, and then it would also, it should, because it's not directly tied to a particular religious system, it should also act as a secular doomsday prediction um, so that you end up with uh, secular non-believers, uh, group, people from other religious groups or other denominations who um, are going to buy into that as a concern and a worry uh, for the same reasons, arguably. Mm-hmm. Wanting to reduce some uncertainty, wanting to be ready, prepared for when these events happen, but um, feeling threat for their in group. Y2K is going to destabilize my country. Like we have to work together to avoid it, or we have to mm-hmm. band together to to reduce the detriments um, or the detrimental effects. Gotcha. So, do you think there's a particular? uh flavor we'll say to all of the current or we'll say the 21st century media around uh end of the world apocalyptic situations because we had this huge rise in zombie literature and movies and tv shows for a hot minute as well as like the adaption of the left behind books into movies and tv series I think they're getting rebooted now. Oh man, I think those adaptations did more to hurt Christian rapture uh, hypotheticals than anything. They were bad. They were very bad, but they were very popular. Oh, I I I have read all of the books. Mm-hmm. I and so yeah. do you think there's like some sort of like relationship to like our current time and like this? pop cultural fascination with the end of the world when did the first book come out that's what i want to see let's see i would assume it was the 80s it was not that oh it's not that old oh is it a 90s uh, book? It, it is a 90s book the first book uh oh that was reissue left behind out. no because i i remember reading it i remember reading it and i think it was in was i in high school or was i just Oh no, I was in I was in uh ooh, I was in middle school. Mm. <laughs> uh 1995. Oh, okay. So, um but there were a number of others that followed um 1996. Okay. Yeah, I mean they really were like pumping these out pretty quickly. Uh about one a year through and there's like 15 books. Mhm. Um, that kind of walk through or use the book of revelation as a template um yeah so like 95 wasn't it was a lot more stable a time than when we get into 2000 and then when we get into like middle of 2000s or we look at like 2008 the recession um you know the kind of post bush era early obama presidency recession that we got um but at the time, there was a lot of interest in like Nostradamus prophecies. You're starting to see like the burgeoning of um, programs and t- I think this is prehistory, maybe prehistory channel stuff. Um, this is also the time when like New Age was really picking up quick. Yeah. As well. 
Yeah, I mean, we're starting to see this kind of like transition and it might be that we're starting to see one one hand, maybe like a increase in like some secular beliefs or non-traditional beliefs. And so again, like you can maybe look at this as like a reaction, like a greater, greater interest in the end times. Um, I mean, what was going on? Uh, uh, History Channel started in 1995. Oh, um, but it didn't start going off the rails. I was about to say, we could have a nice little conspiracy theory <clears> like <throat> Left Behind and the History Channel started at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to look. What happened in 1995? So these are the things that were going on. Oklahoma City bombing. Okay. Um, yeah, that's um, that kind of came to a head. We got the Galileo spacecraft. Um, Michael Jordan returns the nba well that um, clearly signals the end times yeah uh there were also... some some peace talks syria has peace talks with israel okay um u.s imposed economic sanctions in iran um the u.n intervened with the bosnian civil war so we're dealing with like the bosnia uh, issue the UK's oldest investment bank collapses. I mean, there's, I, I'm sure I could find meaningful stuff in every year that sounds very apocalyptic, though. Well, I also wonder, too, because, like, uh, communism fell in 91 in the Soviet Union. So give it a couple of years. Give it a couple of years, and yeah. people are like, oh, wait, our nuclear into the world isn't happening. Yeah, and actually, uh, 95 in New York City, more than 170 countries decided to extend the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty indefinitely without conditions. Mm. And so we not only have the collapse of the Soviet Union a couple of years prior, but we have the world coming together and saying no more nukes. And so that probably reduced fears of, of, of nuclear holocaust. So I wonder, too, if that's part of maybe part of it is that we need to have an imagined end of the world because the actual one didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. We start to see a greater interest in other uh, concerns, prophecies, uh, different um, end times. And then maybe we start to see a shift past like the rapture fascination where we start to see, because like in 94, is when one of the most famous rapture predictors made uh, published his like first big book. Mm. And this guy he's a wild ride, but um but that that could also tie into about the same year we were dealing with about the same time frame, about the same time period and that just over time that doesn't happen so something new picks up or something right. new is uh takes its place. Uh so cool. So I guess I can mention this guy because he was probably the most famous. Um, he did pass away in 2013 uh, a year, at the age of 92, a year after his last uh, rapture prediction. But um, he's, he's well known for uh, first predicting the rapture in 94 uh, with a publication of a book. Um, he is, quote, Notorious for issuing a succession of failed predictions for dates of the end times. 
which temporarily gained him a global following and millions of dollars of donations. Good for him. So why did he do it? Money. That's what it sounds like. Money. Um, Yeah, he first predicted that Judgment Day would occur in September 6, 1994. When it failed, he revised it to September 29th. When it failed, he revised it to October 2nd. Um, in 2005, he said that the second coming of Christ would happen May 21st, 2011. And that's when the rapture would occur. People would be taken up to heaven. There'd be five months of fire, brimstone, and plagues on earth. Um, when it didn't happen, um, he readjusted the day to October 21st, 2011. So this is like really standard. Um, I actually remember the summer that this happened. I was teaching. And I used this to talk about Leon Festinger. And I was like, let's see what happens when the rapture happens. And the rapture didn't happen. And so I was like, all right, what happened next? What happens next? Well, he makes another prediction six months down the road or a couple months down the road. And it was sort of very standard of what happened when, when Festinger students you know, infiltrated that cult. Mm. Um, yeah, after October 21st passed without the predicted apocalypse, because this one actually did garner a lot of media attention. I guess it was a slow news year, 2011 summer. And so a lot of the news picked it up and then they just like, nothing happened. And they were like, well, he's a failed prophet. The mainstream media labeled him a false prophet and commented that his ministry would collapse after the failed doomsday prediction. Um, and he very soon after retired from his position with uh, Family Radio, and um, a year later passed away. Mm. So, yeah, on March 2012, he stated that his attempt to predict a date was sinful and that his critics had been res- right in emphasizing the words of Matthew 24 36. So he was now, and then he said he was now searching the Bible even more fervently, not to find dates, but to be more faithful in his understanding. So he sort of shouldn't have been doing this for so long, but hey, I got millions of dollars. I got lots of money. (laughs) It's okay if I was wrong. I got to buy the things I wanted. Now I can admit I was wrong. Yeah. Um, Oh, I do want to issue a correction on the Christian views of the rapture into the world last judgment tribulation and the uh millennialism where christ rules the earth for a millennium yeah of perfect beautiful harmony mm-hmm. so there are four major views okay so the first one is post-tribulational pre-millennialism where the tribulation happens first and then the second coming happens and then it's the millennium and then it's the last judgment and that's so, that's that, that, I think that's the Catholic. That that would be most like that would jive with the the doomsday preppers, I would think. Okay. Um, then we have pre-tribulational dispensational premillennialism, which is second coming for the church, and then the tribulation, and then the second coming with the church, then the yeah. millennium, and then the last judgment. Then there's post-millennialism where there is no tribulation or second coming, or there's no tribulation, you just enter the millennium, and then the second coming happens at the end of that with the last judgment. 
And then there's amillennialism, which is just a symbolic millennium followed by the second coming last judgment, not a literal millennium. Yeah, I think my understanding is, is that the, cause my understanding is from a Catholic viewpoint, and that is that there's a rapture, then there's the tribulation, then there's a second coming with the church, like everyone comes back. Mm-hmm. The Antichrist is defeated, and thousand years of peace. Um, so huzzah, yeah, and and these have been made like uh, it goes back to uh, one of the first in the United States it was 1844. Uh, this guy named Charles Taze Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, his group offered predictions for, um, oh no, William Miller in 1844. Charles Taze Russell and his group, 1914, 1918, 1925, and 1975, just keep pushing the date back. And a lot of them tie to like biblical creation um, hypotheses on sort of when. So if you're a young earth creationist, the world's only supposed to last so long. Um, If you're not, then probably don't have as strong of a view or at least a date specific view like that 7,000 years or something like that. Or 6,000, depending on your group, which is also what makes this very difficult because depending on your denomination depends on when, what, mm-hmm. how, um, why, why. Yeah, so it's um, it's wild. But, but ultimately, I mean, I, if I had to pinpoint, make a prediction, and maybe that's, that's our next big qualitative study. We go and interview people who believe a rapture is going to happen. We try to figure out why. Why? What does this do for you? Yeah, but I think you you hit the nail on the head. Uh, reducing terror management, uh, dealing with existential dread, uncertainty. Um, and then for people who are making these prophecies, like it's kind of high, low risk, high reward. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether they're aware of it or not, it works for groups and Mm -hmm. it seems that you can make the adjustments pretty easily so cool yeah well i'm glad we solved that mystery i I guess we did that's just (laughs) our prediction for why for why the end of the world not when so it's like a conspiracy conspiracy theory but stronger yeah, yeah. I mean, because the conspiracy theory is trying to find connections. In this case, like some of those connections or some of those predictions are already written down. Mm-hmm. Someone's already made them, and you're just trying to. You're either just accepting it because they're, it's, it's in group, or you're um, you've, you've like Nostradamus predictions. You're just sort of taking vague ramblings of someone from hundreds of years ago and saying, like, "See, this is about Hitler." <laughs> Um, but much in the same way like you're trying to find those connections you're trying to reduce uncertainty you're trying to create some level of closure um with that that kind of those uncertain thoughts and Mm -hmm. so yeah much like why someone would develop a conspiracy theory i guess with that i should move us to our um ism of the week huzzah so I got one heck of an ism. I, I wanted to try to one up uh, the um, 
Prince Philip movement. <laughs> so I might have, because this one has a rapture prediction. Oh, okay. That is going to happen in 2025. Okay. Well, not really a rapture prediction, but a earth, like perceptual earth shattering prediction. Okay. So this, this was created by Claude uh, Voriel Hans as a French, French race car driver. Okay. And it is Raelism. Israelism. No, Raelism. R-A-E-L-I-S-M. Okay. It's, it's derived from the honorific name given to Voriel Hans by aliens, the titular Raelians. That's okay. what the, the people are. But the aliens who abducted him before revealing the true origins of mankind. Oh. Claude or Rail, R-A-E-L, as he was dubbed. And so his followers are Raelians. Okay. Who He was abducted by aliens. Okay. It's a good rhyme. Um, he was taken to a distant planet called Elohim by the aforementioned aliens where he was honored enough to meet great philosophers and religious thinkers throughout history, including... Buddha, Confucius, Joseph Smith, and Jesus. Wow. He got to meet the founder of Mormonism and Jesus. As well as Buddha and Confucius. So they're a very eclectic yeah, philosophical yeah. group. In they're addition, both. yeah, in, ad- <laughs> in addition to revealing that life on earth began when humans were created from alien DNA 25,000 years ago. They also informed Rail that the Earth should expect their arrival in Jerusalem. So yeah, it's very Jerusalem's a, a hot hot hub. Hot um, hub. Aliens are going to arrive and return in 2025. Okay. So we got to keep an eye out. 2025. We're still doing this podcast. We're gonna do Rail Watch. Rail Watch. <laughs> Where we're gonna. Every week, have the aliens landed in Jerusalem? Right on. Um, we'll have to see. But the, yeah, the aliens, they're, they're wild. Um, there's a lot more to that group. And I will, I think I could, I, I've got a good podcast. If you want to know about the aliens, want something a little more lighthearted um, in terms of their discussion, as opposed to like an academic discussion of the aliens, um, I'll, I'll put a link for, cool. uh, for that. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, they still exist. Uh, there are groups of them. They've got, just like any group like this, they've got a, a bit of a sordid history. There's some interesting stuff. French race car driver starts alien-themed, alien-based religion. Very so. cool. Good for him. Why? I don't know. Maybe, maybe also money. <laughs> maybe money. <laughs> so... Well, I guess with that, <laughs> we will end this ramble on the rapture. Yeah, this ramp. That's gonna be. It's gonna be their title: the ramble on the rapture. Ramble on the rapture. <laughs> and with that, we'll we'll say goodbye. Bye.